today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. This has been a, a, a very trying and very uh, emotional week for a number of people in the black community, uh, not just south of the border, but I think uh, right around the globe. Uh, we had the Rittenhouse uh, verdict, of course, that happened a couple of uh, days ago uh, with his uh, actions and the, the shooting of a, a number of black people, of course, in, uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. But yesterday, jurors convicted three white men in the death of Ahmad Arbery, a black man who was chased and fatally shot while running through their neighborhood last year in Georgia. Uh, George McMichael's son, Travis, and uh, a neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, were all convicted of felony murder, a conviction that comes with a sentence of life in prison. Lawyer Chana Lloyd explains some of these charges. In Georgia, with the murder charges, it is a minimum of life imprisonment. The judge has the discretion to offer parole, but in Georgia, you must serve 30 years before you're eligible for parole. So what are the ramifications? And, and let's talk about the reaction and the response uh, that we saw after the verdict was announced yesterday. And joining us to talk about that, we're so pleased to welcome to the program Dexter Voisin, who is the Dean of the Faculty Interwash Faculty of Social Work at the University of Toronto. Uh, Professor Voisin, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. In light of the Rittenhouse uh, verdict uh, just a few days before that, how important was this verdict yesterday? Uh, incredibly important. And you mentioned the Rittenhouse verdict, and I think we need to sort of pull the lens back and look at a broader landscape. So uh, slightly over a year ago, we had the George Floyd verdict. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the Breonna Taylor verdict. Um, And now we have the Rittenhouse verdict and this most recent verdict. So we're seeing a slight shift here um, as it relates to accountability and particularly accountability as it relates to black lives. Um, keep in mind that uh, in the past we had the Rodney King verdict, which did not turn out very well, and that was also captured on video. So I, I think there's a there's a, a broader shift at play here, um, particularly looking um, at this verdict within the context of the racial reckoning that has been taking place over the last uh, year or so, and the importance of video evidence. Yeah, uh, as an observer, uh, I mean, you know, the Rittenhouse thing was right there in front of it. We saw the video of that as well, uh, yet that didn't seem to sway people. I mean, I, I, I know we can get into the nuts and bolts of that trial itself as to whether or not the prosecutors did a, a decent job of presenting their case or not, and, and I guess that's something that's going to be d- debated for months, if not years, to come in situations like this. Uh, but the, the video that we saw of, of the Aubrey murder, and it was a murder, of course, uh, was, was just so sickening. I mean, being chased down in the fashion that he was, uh, it, it, there was there was an emotional side to this, too, that I think really struck a chord with an awful lot of people right across the country, right across North America. Yes, and I think a similar chord that was struck with Mr. George Floyd, right, where you yes. saw man's inhumanity towards man. And, um, you know, that case, again, if you follow it really carefully, uh, the defense used a lot of racial tropes that was very head-scratching and, and, and in many ways very sickening. And uh the prosecution very much sort of stayed away from the issue of race, although race was clearly at the center of this case, but they really focused on an individual's right to freedom, uh, justice, and full humanity. So 
you know, again, focusing on, you know, universal humanity, I think it appealed across the board to well-intended black, white, Asian, Latinx individuals who care about the fellow humanity of each other. Well, and we saw that with the, the Floyd trial, didn't we, where there was an attempt made by the defense, uh, for, for the, 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 the cop especially, uh, to try to demean Floyd and simply, you know, you know, we want to talk about his history. We want to talk about his arrest record. We want to talk about this and that. Doing everything they possibly could to try to demean that. And and there was an attempt in this trial too, wasn't there, Professor, in the Aubrey situation, uh, to bring in his his past record. You know, with, with uh, you know, mental health issues, all sorts of other things like this, to try to to uh, really muddy the waters, I suppose, of what seemed to be rather evident to most people. Right, and it, it, let's be clear, it was really more than just demean. It was really a blatant attempt to evoke racial, racial tropes, right? So reference to his anatomy, his long legs, uh, reference to no socks to cover his dirty toenails, right? Again, all this creates a set of racial tropes and imagery in the minds of individuals. So again, to understand U.S. history and Canadian history, and I think history worldwide, without acknowledging the centrality of race and anti-Black racism, as well as white supremacy, um, it's really talking around the issues and not the issues. So I think the defense made a deliberate attempt, I think a desperate attempt, to really evoke racial tropes. And uh, the 11 white folks and one black person on that jury said, no, uh, this is not acceptable. They sent a clear and loud signal that they were going to examine the evidence, the information at hand, and not move, be moved by uh, a racial or emotional reaction to um, the demonizing of black and brown bodies. Which is still evident, and you mentioned we can go back to the George Floyd. We can go back years and years, I suppose, to to other circumstances like this too, where it it seems fairly obvious, I think, to most observers, Professor, that the motivation behind some of these most heinous crimes here is simply the fact that that was a black individual, uh, and and these people just wanted to, to punish him. I mean, they chased this guy down the street and they, you know, they tried to concoct a story. Well, we thought he broke into some place or we thought, you know, this is a guy they're going, they, they, they literally chased him in a truck and, and shot him dead when he was on the street and, and, and then trying to justify this by saying, well, look at who he was. Uh, the comments of, of some of the people in the family here, you know, that, that said, you know, we chased him down the street and trapped him like a rat. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it certainly speaks to their attitude about, about black people, doesn't it? Well, you know, in all fairness, motivation is hard to unravel, right? But we can look at the evidence. And the evidence did show that this guy was, he was chased, he was hunted, right? He was hunted by three individuals in a truck. He was cornered. And what many uh, political analysts, social activists, on legal minds have been saying is that really this was a form of modern-day lynching. Um, And it's really interesting to note that the anti-lynching bill, uh, the uh, Emmett Till anti-lynching bill, still has not been passed in the Senate. So on the books, uh, lynching is not illegal in the United States. 
right? So this is what we see in a modern-day version of a young black man uh, who was jogging and certainly had the right to pursue that, was hunted and cornered like an animal. You're absolutely correct. What are the ramifications of this? I mean, what's the message that's being sent here? And, and uh, your, your point, I think, is very germane to the discussion here. It does not, even when we get verdicts like this, does not seem to sway uh, legislators in, in either the state or federal uh, houses of government to, to move forward on some of these things. I mean, they certainly, uh, some of them anyway, talk the talk. Uh, but there's a, a certain element, I guess, of those elected officials uh, that are still currying favor with, with people like this. Well, current favor with individuals like this, and you can look at um, after the Rittenhouse acquittal, the former president took pictures with, um, with, with John Rittenhouse, which in many ways is signaling, uh, doing a lot of signaling to a certain proportion of Americans. Um, but, you know, let's look at the bright side and let's, let's look at the work that also needs to be done. So the Georgia governor signs a hate crime bill in light of the Aubrey Ahmed uh, killing, right? So uh, that is progress. We still need to look at the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which again promotes and protects individuals, particularly minority individuals, where you look at redistricting in in predominantly black communities in terms of uh, uh, protecting their their rights to vote. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, all these are important legislative uh, procedures that would really advance the cause towards social justice. So let's not be mistaken. uh, the, the, The positive verdict that we got in this case it, in many ways, is a one-off. It does not necessarily change the dial until large-scale policies are enacted. Um, but again, when you have a history of folks who've felt like they've been ignored, that their rights have been beaten down, that they have not gotten equal justice under the law, there tends to be a lot of elation and celebration around these one-off cases because it does engender a sense of hope. So again, I think this is not just a, a U.S. phenomenon, it's a Canadian phenomenon, and I think people all around the world were looking at this case um, with, with a sense of hope. So I think there's more work that needs to be done. This signals um, some encouragement in terms of we're moving in the right direction, but legislation needs to pass in order to advance this cause towards real racial justice in America. Is there an appetite for that, for that to happen? Well, I think um, I think if you look again at the evidence around this, around uh, the outcome of this case, there is an appetite, right? And this is only going to take place if you have white, black, Latinx, all individuals who care about social justice, racial justice, really coming together. And it shows that even with a majority white uh, jury, that folks do have the ability to put biases aside, to consider the evidence, and to come out with some sensible outcomes. So for me, that is a sign of hope. 
do do you cling to something like this? And by I mean the the universal you. Do we cling to something of this nature, though, Professor? And say uh, this is this is as you mentioned, certainly a you know something that we should be thankful for and applaud that justice was done here. Uh, but you can't, as you mentioned, justice cannot be a one-off. Justice has to be a trend. Justice has to be a mindset. Uh, and it, it seems to me, when you look at, as you say, in the greater context of what's gone on in the last number of years, uh, that we're not there yet. We're, I, you know, it can be argued we're not even on the right path yet, as of yet. Well, you know, again, this is a, there's a power of the people, and I don't mean to sound cliche, but when you look at the, George, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, the George Floyd Policing Act, the majority of Americans are in favor of the passing of these acts, right? They have just been uh, stalemate in the Senate. And this is where voting comes in, and voting is so important because uh, the voting public has the ability to remove senators and Congress individuals who are holding these acts up to remove them from a second term or third term, right? So the people have the power, um, and, and this is why voting is so important. And senators, they listen to the constituents because once a constituent said, we are holding you accountable, and if we send you to Congress or we send you to the Senate and you're not doing the mandate that we have given to you, we'll remove you, right? So, so there is hope in the masses. Uh, there is the power of the vote. And the power of the people. So, so again, I prefer to cling to the side of hope rather than to the, the side of dismay. But there, there is a sort of I think a, a more global awareness, a global shifting around racial inequality in the United States and beyond. Um, so let's see how much further we could continue to advance that. Also, with the understanding that success is never a straight line. Sometimes you you make advances, you go back but you continue to make advances. And I see this as a definite advancement. And I share your optimism that hopefully, you know, this is going to make a difference. I guess maybe what we're looking for, though, to your point, though, Professor, is the manifestation of that in the political arena. It's wonderful to see in a court of law that those ideals have been used and embraced. Uh, but you want to see some of those people that are there that are throwing up roadblocks, uh, you know, be held accountable, you know, when it comes to elections and things of this nature. And, and uh, well, I know the midterms are coming up and maybe that's an opportunity for some of that stuff to happen. But that that's I think what a lot of people are looking for is a breakthrough to see, OK, maybe there is going to be some 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 ramifications to the people that, that refuse to, to come on side here. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, again, when we take the long view, when we look at the Civil Rights Act. Um, that was not an easy pass, right? That took several iterations before it got passed. So change is, change is never an easy road. And when you look at, there's this old thing that power is never abdicated. It has to be seized. And the Voting Rights Act came about from grassroots organizations, black, white, Jewish, a, a, a multicultural coalition that came together to really bring about change. So there's a model for that, but it also signals that change, folks in power are not just going to hand over power, right? There has exactly. to be a grassroots push. So again, this is, this is the opportunity for the midterm elections and all the folks 
across the racial spectrum who care about racial and economic and social justice to go out and exercise your right to vote. Exactly. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, uh, time limitations being what they are. Professor, great to get you on the program today. Thanks so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for, for keeping your light, uh, keeping a light on this important topic. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. It's uh, Professor Dexter Voisin at the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.